There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall pull or put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Karl Barth, who's a famous 20th century theologian, said that a pastor should preach with a Bible in one hand and a newspaper in the other. And I confess that I hate the news. Um, not just because it's become more and more challenging to read between the rampant editorializing in the news these days, but also because it weighs me down so heavily. Many of y'all may feel the same. When you hear the news, when you read the news, it begins to feel like your insides look like that outside, right? You feel weighted down and dark. You can feel the weight of the world, the carnage, the deceit, the discord, and the hatred. But this morning, I want to begin by picking up the newspaper along with the Bible to remind us of the world that we live in. And as I read a few headlines, I want for you in your mind to juxtapose these headlines with the passage that we just read in Isaiah. Here are five headlines from the last two days from all different news sources. Number one. At least 90 killed by truck bomb at security checkpoint in Somalia's capital. Number two, a mailman shot on delivery route in West Houston. Three, Islamic State terrorists kill 10 Christian hostages on Christmas Day. Four, Russia deploys hypersonic weapon, potentially renewing arms race. Five. Four-year-old found safe after Amber Alert. Even with the happy ending of the last story, we feel the strife and the turmoil that these headlines convey. Right? How, when you're juxtaposing these headlines compared to Isaiah's passage in your mind, how can the world we live in with that discord that I just read about ever look like what Isaiah has written? Is he mistaken? Is he naive? Is it possible that even in our world, God will set everything to rights and bring the kind of peace that is talked about in our passage? Well, Karl Barth went on to say that as we read the Bible and the newspaper, we interpret the news in light of the Bible. And the Bible teaches us this morning that yes, it is possible It is possible that this peace will come, but it comes through a Messiah, the promised king. 
And through the king, God is going to change the world. The created order itself is even going to change. So this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah's prophecy in three parts. First, the lineage of Messiah. Second, the character of the Messiah. And third, the hope of the Messiah. But before we consider this passage together, would you all please pray with me? Our God and Father, we do thank you, Lord, that you speak to us. Father, that in the midst of our world, when we feel the turmoil, when we feel the sin and the brokenness, Lord, that you don't leave us in it, but that you speak to us. And Father, we pray that as we consider your word, that you would enliven our hearts. May your light shine in our hearts and shine in this broken world, we pray in Christ's name by the Spirit. Amen. Well, as we consider our passage this morning, we are reminded that Isaiah is speaking to a people who have been devastated. They've had terrible king after terrible king, and maybe at best they've had like a neutral, decent king recently. They found themselves as a result surrounded by the Assyrians who are at their doorstep. They're experiencing actually even the death of a dream of sorts because God gave them the land that they are in. God has protected them from their enemies for the most part up to this point. God has even promised that the throne of David in 2 Samuel 7 would last forever. That one of David's heirs would sit on the throne forever. But these are a people who are attacked and who are conquered, at least in part. Their circumstances are different from what they dream. How is God going to keep this promise? The kingdom is disintegrating. Yet it was... It was supposed to be established forever. There's a disconnect. Isaiah uses language to capture the feelings of the people. The throne of David feels cut off. He refers to it as a stump of Jesse. Not, Not a great towering oak with beautiful leaves and shade for all who want to sit underneath it. No, this is a dead, cut off stump of Jesse. And as we remember Jesse is the father of King David. And this is the family tree that was supposed to be established forever. But somehow, because of disobedience, because because of the devastation, they are now cut off. This tree has been cut down. It's through their disobedience and unfaithfulness that the kingdom of Israel, as it was physically constructed, is crumbling. So God's people are struggling in their faith. What are you doing, Lord? They're probably thinking. They're sitting there thinking, you promised the throne of David would last forever. You promised that we would prosper. You promised that things would be better than this. But God's people were anticipating the, the wrong future. They were anticipating the fullness of the future in the here and the now. They didn't understand that there might still be struggle. And don't we do the same? What are the stumps in your life, the places you thought the Lord would bless you, but it didn't didn't turn out the way that you thought it would? Why we don't often, uh, we don't often, uh, we do actually, I'm sorry, we do seek the good or even the seemingly innocuous things and place all of our hopes on them to feel the utter dismay when it is ultimately cut off. 
Maybe it's the dream of physical fitness or an active life, but the dream of playing sports or exercising or just being active outdoors has been, has been cut off in your life by nagging ailments or injuries or illness. Maybe it's a little more serious. It's maybe the, the dream of a thriving business, but that dream of leading a company or being a part of a new organization that's doing something great has been cut off by the economy or from... Uh, from infighting within the workforce. Perhaps it's the dream of having children or getting married, but that dream of, of a future growing family or of being connected with someone else has been cut off by bad relationships or infertility. And that is not to say that God is punishing us when those dreams don't come to fruition. And that's also not to say that they may not happen. They may, in fact, happen in your life. God is at work in all sorts of different ways. But the point is this. We often build up these things and struggle to see that the dreams we have for our life cannot and will not bear the weight that we ultimately place upon them. We feel utter devastation at these occurrences when, when we should merely feel a deep pain. It rattles us to our very core because we have treated God as a wish granter or a dream granter rather than who he is, which is the creator God of the universe. And to clarify, to have our bodies struggle, to have a business fail, or to have relational dreams cut short because of fertility or because of being mistreated or bad relationships, those are legitimate issues to grieve in a broken world. The challenge, though, is that we are to grieve as a people of hope. That means to grieve as a people who still trust in God's promises, even though we're staring at a stump instead of a live oak. It can be an enormous challenge still to trust in the Lord, and to trust in his promises. But to be a people of hope is to be a people who recognize that God is still at work. Even when life feels cut to the very stump. So as we look back to our passage in Isaiah, we see yes the lion has been cut off and the tree has been cut down. Right? The kings have failed over and over. They've led God's people into chaos, disobedience, and even outright rebellion. But God has promised he still has promised to establish the throne of David forever. How can he fulfill the promise with a cut down tree? The stump, even though it looks dead, is somehow going to sprout new life. It says a shoot, which is a, a, a strange word. Think a sapling, right? A very beginning of a sapling growing out of this dead stump. It's the very beginning of hope. And Isaiah says, very interestingly, that this, this sapling is going to grow from the stump of Jesse. Why Jesse? Uh, we just talked about how the promise was for David and his descendants to sit on the throne forever. So why Jesse? Right? Most of us, we forget who he is. Uh, he's not mentioned all that often in the Bible. But as I said before, this is David's father. So by saying that the stump is Jesse, David's father, the image is that the shoot or the sapling, which is growing out of the stump, is the offspring of Jesse, which is to say that the sapling 
is a new David. So God isn't just going to work through the lineage of David's family. Yes, he is. But he is going to bring about a new David, a new great king. And this new king is going to bring about a blessed rule in a way that David himself and David's followers could never possibly imagine. From the stump of Jesse, a king, a Messiah will come. We all of a sudden get this glimmer of hope in this sapling that's coming out of the stump. There is a sapling of hope. The Messiah will be a new David. He will be a king after God's own heart, which brings us to our second point, the character of the Messiah. Isaiah tells us in verse verse 2 that this Messiah will be like the Old Testament prophets, even like Isaiah himself, in that he too will be filled with the Spirit. He will be spirit-filled. And what does that mean? Does that, does that mean that he's going to dance about or be inclined to kind of spirit-filled impulsivity or uh, that he just can't contain his exuberance for God? Uh, maybe, but that's not the point that this is trying to articulate. It means that his heart and character are so shaped by the Holy Spirit that he is pursuing godliness in himself and in his kingdom. He is wise. He knows God and relates to God personally in all aspects of his life. The Spirit of God fills this promised king such that he will delight in the Lord, as it says, and lead his people well. This king will will rule with equity and with righteousness. And it's because of his inward life is filled with the Spirit and characterized by the fear of the Lord that his his outward rule will be characterized by righteousness and faithfulness. Unlike the previous kings of Judah before him that have failed so frequently, he will not judge based on his own eyes, what his eyes can see, what his ears can hear. Rather, he will judge by God's truth. And judgment can feel strange in our day and age, but believe it or not, we do want someone to come and to judge And this is a good thing. He won't be an unjust judge, and he won't be an absent judge either. He will be a judge of righteousness, and he will judge fairly. Verse 5 says that righteousness itself will be his belt, right? It will be the belt of his waist. Isaiah is saying that righteousness is so much a part of the fabric of who this king will be that this belt, is, it's, it's, a, it's an image of going into battle. That this garment is so much a part of who he is that at all times he is ready to be and to bring righteousness and faithfulness into his kingdom. So as I'm painting the picture of this king, who comes to mind? Your spouse, I'm sure, right? No? Do you long for a king like this? Don't you long for someone to rule who embodies these exact attributes? You might be thinking of someone specific that you wish perhaps embodied these attributes a little bit more. You might be thinking, if only my boss exemplified these attributes a little bit better. If only my parents made decisions solely through righteousness rather than than according to their own whims. 
If only our pastors, our elders, our government officials, or our world leaders exemplified this characteristics, then maybe our world would be better. Or maybe your reaction to some of this is a little bit more cynical. You might be thinking, even if a ruler began to exemplify these characteristics, it wouldn't change anything. Because because someone who would rule in this way or someone who would lead in this way is ultimately chewed up and spit out by the world. And if you think that this part is too good to be true, then the next part may feel truly out of this world. Because the sapling of hope that we see here is growing. It is growing into a tree of hope that is going to come in the future because of this Messiah. Which leads us to our third point, the hope of the Messiah. Isaiah is teaching us that through the reign of the Messiah, a peace like you have never known will be brought about. This peace is Edenic in nature. It's meant to to capture images of the Garden of Eden itself, where sin, chaos, and death were ultimately brought about by the fall. This is going to reverse that. Through the reign of this Messiah, we see that according to verse 6, the predator will no longer feed upon the prey. It says the wolf will dwell with the lamb, which is an amazing image. The lamb is so essentially and completely at peace with the wolf that he invites the wolf into his home to dwell together as roommates of sorts. This is the peace that's being talked about here. They will dwell together. Through the reign of this Messiah, the created order itself is changing In verse 7, it's not just the cow that is a grazing animal. The bear becomes a grazing animal as well. The lion will now eat straw alongside of the grass-eating ox. And the verses indicate that this Edenic peace will be lasting. It will not just be the wolf and the lamb and the bear, the ox, but it will be their offspring as well. The young of the cow and the bear will graze together, as it says, just like their parents. This peace will last from generation to generation. No longer will the next generation forget about what the Lord has done for them and the peace that has been brought about with them. This will be lasting peace. And the Messiah will come to bring complete peace. In verse 8, we see an amazing image. Isaiah says that the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. In this new kingdom, under this Messiah's reign, there will no longer be any enmity between the seed of mankind and the seed of the serpent that is spoken about in Genesis 3. No longer will mankind be subjected to the evil plots of the deceiver. No longer will the sin brought about by man's rebellion and the serpent's deceit have any effect for you and me. For even the weakest and the most vulnerable, the nursing child and the weaned child can play right next to the lair of the serpent and not be harmed. This is the peace that the Messiah will bring. A complete peace for my heart and your heart from generation to generation and from predator to prey. 
This is the peace that the Messiah will bring. And my question to you this morning is, does it matter to you? Does this vision of the future sound kind of cool? Or does it change your heart, your affections, and your life? The passage says in verse 9 that the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. This knowledge is an intimate knowledge. This is not a a Google-based knowledge or a Wikipedia sort of knowledge. This is a love-filled kind of knowing. And true love, no matter what, whether it ultimately goes bad or whether it is perfect, changes us some way, shape, or form. We are either disfigured by it or we are transfigured by it. But Wikipedia-based knowledge, that does nothing to us except puff us up. This extensive knowing that is promised by a glorious and gracious good ruler is brought about because he comes. Because he is full of the knowledge of the Lord, as it said in verse 2. And what is more, he is going to bring about an intimate relationship that we can have with the Lord. So does this matter to you? Do you know the Lord like this is being talked about here? Or have you been maybe voyeuristically trying to know God, to just know some facts about him, some things about him, but not the whole him? Because if you got to know the whole him and be in relationship with him, it would demand too much of you. Or maybe we don't want to believe that this is true because we don't want to submit to this good and gracious king. Or maybe it's that we simply live as if this glorious future is not possible. Because we don't believe that the Messiah's reign will ultimately change the world in any real way. But we need to realize how revolutionary this is. That the God of the universe has come in Jesus Christ, has been born, and the revolution has started. And that through Jesus and his reign, through this incarnate hope that we have in him, we have been invited into this peace that is coming in this new world order that is changing. My main point is this, that Isaiah's prophecy here is not just a dream, it's not just a fantasy. It's not just some sort of wishful thinking on behalf of of a broken prophet and a struggling people. No, this is a picture, this is a picture that is coming true. Whether we believe it or not, Whether it matters to us or not, or whether it changes how we live or not, it is coming true. The revolution truly has begun. And we must not live as if it has not taken place. That is to say, we need to live knowing full and well that Jesus has come and this future is guaranteed. My wife and I really enjoy obscure movies. Um, a, a while ago, we watched a movie called Goodbye Lenin, which I would imagine is relatively obscure. Let's see how obscure it is. Have, how many of you all have seen the movie? We got about three. That's a, we had one earlier. Uh, so see, it is very obscure, and we are not very cool. This movie, is, it's actually a very good foreign movie. Uh, if, you, if you can deal with subtitles, I highly recommend it. This movie follows an East German family just before and after uh, the fall of of Soviet Russia and and ultimately before German reunification. 
So there, there's a mother and her, and her children. The mother's name is Christiane, and she is a staunch socialist. She suffers a heart attack and subsequently ends up in a coma for about seven or eight months. And during this coma, of course, the Berlin Wall falls. The borders are opened and everything about the world that she knew prior to the heart attack and coma has now changed dramatically and fast. Right? Suddenly, westernizing has begun everywhere. Her daughter gets a job at Burger King and buys a tanning bed of all things. There's a Coca-Cola billboard outside of her building. Suddenly there's cars and food and clothes that were previously unavailable to her and unavailable to them. Christiane's children are, of course, very excited about all of this. But when she awakens from her coma after eight months, the doctors tell her kids that they cannot disturb her because she cannot suffer any more shock. So they begin this hilarious facade of pretending that the Berlin Wall never fell. So they create fake news broadcasts. They search all over for rare East German foods. They even make up stories to explain things that they cannot hide. And in so many ways we do this exact same thing. We can continue to go back to the horrible ways that things were before maybe because of its familiarity or because we maybe like life that way a little bit more, we shouldn't continue to eat bad borscht when good schnitzel is available to us, right? We should not continue to go back to our seemingly okay lives when everlasting life is guaranteed in Jesus Christ. We should instead follow the Messiah into this new world order, knowing that it is through his spirit-filled knowledge of the Lord that brings us into relationship with him. We should tell others about this good news and we should try to model to others what this peace will ultimately look like. So does this new world matter in your life? Because it's through our Messiah who has come and who has promised to come again that we have hope. It is in Jesus, the anointed one of God, that this new world order has come. It is in the incarnate God, God who took on flesh to be with his people and to begin a relationship with you and with me that gives us true hope, hope that grows from a sapling into a true and glorious tree. So let us respond Because he has come that we might experience true life. Life that is better than anything that we have ever experienced. He just asked that we would respond to him in faith. Will you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we do thank you. Well, we thank you for what you have done for us in Jesus. And we thank you for the promises that are assured in him. May we live in light of those promises even when life feels cut to the very stump. Father, we pray even this morning, renew our faith. May we follow you in faith knowing that it is by your spirit that we come to you in the first place. We thank you, Lord, and we pray all of this in the name of Jesus, by the spirit. Amen.